Well, hello, and welcome to New Mommy at 40 podcast, where we hold space for those entering or currently in parenthood at an seasoned stage of life, their 40s. I'm your host, Victoria. Whether you're new here or visiting us again, thank you for stopping by. Come on in, put up your feet and enjoy being in the company of someone who gets you and the amazing and exhausting journey you've taken on. While you wait for our guest today, click on that subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a future episode right now. Oh, and follow us at New Mommy at 40 on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. All right, here we go. It didn't happen in my 20s. Who cares? Now I've got all this fancy wisdom to share. Hey, I've got this baby. You're getting the best of me because I'm a new on the wall. (laughs) Great. As we close out Black History Month this year, I wanted to put the spotlight on something that's very important to me, Black maternal health. This episode will be a two-part series dedicated just to that topic. Maternal health has long been a concern in America for women of all races. The CDC has found that about 700 women die from complications related to pregnancy or childbirth every year. However, black women fare the worst, dying two and a half times more often than white or Hispanic women. That's why I'm so thankful to have this chat with Deneen Sacconi today. After enduring 20 years of fertility issues, Deneen and her supportive husband welcomed two beautiful babies in two years. As a senior policy director in healthcare, she shockingly found herself in the company of other mothers, especially those of color, who find themselves caring for a new life while advocating to save their own. I know you'll find her overall positivity and perspective of life, faith, and parenting infectious. Let's get into our chat with our friend. Deneen. You and I have not seen each other in, uh, well, you you reminded me, 2009, 2009 right? At, yep. a, at a cruise, a reunion cruise, so to speak, for one of the frats on, on our campus. But we both went to University of Miami. Shout out right. to the Canes, the U. All about the U. The U. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I don't keep in touch with a lot of people from the University of Miami, but I'm happy that we have always been on Facebook. So I've been able to kind of peep in. And so I saw baby one and I was like, oh my God, he's so adorable. Yes. And then I saw baby two and I was like, wait, yes. I, is that the same baby that I saw? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no ma'am. No, but you had them pretty close together, right? I had two technically in 11 months and like 360 days. So they're not even 12 months apart. Wow. Yeah, I just wow was right. <laughs> I just remember seeing and I was like, Oh, this is so great. I'm so happy for her. And then it was, Oh, there's another person that I know having kids in their 40s. Some I know it's yes. by choice. But for you, this was a long journey to motherhood, right? Yes, it was. This was not by choice. I was diagnosed with endometriosis when I was in my early 20s. And I don't know if people are familiar with that, but that is one of the leading causes of infertility in women. Mm -hmm. And so me getting pregnant was just not 
happening. Now, and, I, I um, have to say, like, you're one of the first people that I know that mm-hmm. have that told me that they've been diagnosed that early. So what led to that diagnosis? How did you even know to, did you ask or how did they find it? How did you know? So interesting you say that. So when I was, it's so weird how God gives you intuition. Mm-hmm. When I was 15, I just felt like something was wrong with my menstrual cycles. Mm. Something just didn't seem right. And they could be really painful, but I didn't know who to compare it to. I just knew it didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And so when I was in my early 20s, I saw the gynecologist and I was explaining, I have these really painful periods and I have like really bad cramps and it, you know, it just really hurts a lot. And then the doctor said, you know, I'd like to perform a laparoscopy, you know, just because what you're telling me, it sounds like there's something going on there. Mm -hmm. And in performing the laparoscopy, which is, you know, an outpatient procedure, the doctor confirmed you have endometriosis. And he said that, yeah, I, I just, you know, that intuition. And he said, and that can, you know, be a barrier to conceiving naturally, not impossible, but it can be a barrier. So I knew I had it. And what they suggest is that a woman, that you take birth control pills Mm -hmm. because birth control pills regulate your cycle and it really minimizes the discomfort and the pain you get from endometriosis. Because when you have endometriosis, not all of your lining is exiting your body Mm -hmm. as you menstruate. Some of it stays and that's what causes like the scarring. And so they say that they found that birth control pills help with the pain and with that scarring that can happen, Right. you know, you know, so I was on birth control pills for 10 plus years. Wow. And how old were you when you were diagnosed? Oh, let's see. I want to say was, I was probably 24, 25. Wow. When I was diagnosed. So were you thinking of kids at the time of possibly having them? Um, and going into motherhood at some point in your life to the point where that affected who you dated and how you dated? Um, I knew I always wanted to have kids to answer your question. So ever since I was like a, a kid, I, I would tell my mom, I'm going to have four kids. And one of them I was going to name Victoria because I was going to have four girls. It's a beautiful name. I com- And she laughed. She <laughs> said, wait till you have your first. <laughs> then we'll talk. But of course it impacted me. And I thought, what guy is going to want a woman who has a condition that can make it impossible, if not difficult, for her mm. to conceive? So, yes, that was a concern of mine. Absolutely. Yeah, the reason I ask is I've had conversations with women since starting this podcast about them being diagnosed with an issue like this, either endometriosis or PCOS or fibroids, but their diagnoses were so late like in their mid 30s when they're almost at that geriatric stage anyway Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but so it even so if you felt that at that point when you were diagnosed it's even double for those finding out at that point because they're like and I'm running out of time and I have to figure out how to bring this up in my my dating like I'd like to Mm -hmm. try starting I'd like to start trying earlier than Mm -hmm some others you know what I mean so I was wondering how that impacted you and so 
you have this diagnosis and then how long did it take before you met the love of your life that you're with now to even start having, you know, kids, you know, how did you, how did that happen? So let's think. So I find out when I'm 25. Right. And I met my husband in 2014. So I was about, I guess, 37. Yeah. Or had just turned 38 when I met him. And my husband's younger than me. He's five years younger than me. So at this point in my life, I was thinking, I only want to date guys older who have kids so that I won't disappoint them. Mm-hmm. if they want to have children to answer your question mm-hmm. about how that impacted me. That was really how I felt. So when I met my husband, Olu, Hey, Olu. He told, hey baby. So when he told, <laughs> you have to so give him a he, shout out. I mean, yeah, of course. Olu, that's my baby. <laughs> so when we met and he told me he was 30, he was 35 at the time, I believe in my head, I thought rats, I, I did. I thought, crap, he's going to want kids. Dang. Right. Right. That's that's how I, I felt. But I really liked him and he really liked me and we got along so well that we continued dating. Our relationship grew and, you know, we got married in 2017 and he knew I shared with him, you know, I have this endometriosis diagnosis. I don't know if I can. And he was so loving and understanding. He said, you know, but Deneen, if you want to have kids and I want to have kids, he's like, it's worth a conversation with your gynecologist. Just talk. Yeah. Try. And if it doesn't work, at least we know we tried. But to know we want to have kids and mm-hmm. to never try... That's a regret I don't want us to have. Ooh, you met a you met a good one. You met a good I did. one. That is so supportive of him. It is. And I took his advice, made an appointment with my gynecologist, got scared and canceled it because <laughs> I didn't want to hear the news. Right. Rescheduled it and went and she was very supportive. She says, "Listen, you're 30, you know, 38, 39 years old. Hurry up." Because <laughs> of your endometriosis, I suggest you consider, you know, in vitro fertilization, meet with a fertility expert because time is of the essence. Right. And that's kind of how we got rolling with this. You know, when she gave me the green light and was like, I know your history and I don't think it's impossible for you. That gave me hope. And we decided, well, let's explore um, and, you know, in vitro fertilization. Let's find a, a fertility clinic that we can trust and go to. Now, did you do a lot of rounds to you know at first I did not um so when I did find the the clinic they said I'll just tell you straight up they were like listen I think I was close to 40 at this point they were like we're not even going to try artificial insemination because of your age and because of the history of endometriosis we're just going straight to IVF and so it's interesting to that you say that because before my first round I had the meds. We were ready to go. They were just waiting for my cycle. Mm-hmm. And the cycle didn't come. Oh, wow. But I was like, no, I can't be. I can't be. Right. Took a test. I was pregnant. And so I was thinking to my husband, this is great. Oh, my gosh. We were about to start IVF. And I just naturally got pregnant. This is so awesome, right? Right. 
So I tell the, the clinic and they were like, okay, why don't you come in? We'll do an ultrasound. We go in and do the ultrasound. We're super excited. And I knew something was wrong because the doctor said, when was your last menstrual cycle? And I told him the date. And he said, well, it, it should have been farther along in its development. You know, he was like, I see a stem, but I'm not really seeing a placenta. Long story short, I ended up losing that pregnancy at about six weeks. I'm sorry, Deneen. Thank you. So that devastated me. And my husband was extremely supportive because we found out my 40th birthday weekend is when I lost that pregnancy. And I'll never forget, my husband said, it's going to happen. You're, we're going to get pregnant. And when it happens, you're going to see it's going to be on an important date. Because the fact that this has happened here, he said, I just know when it does happen, it's going to be an important date. And I couldn't see it at the time. But yeah, he was a little prophetic in what he said. <laughs> so anyway, we decided, or I decided my body needed a break. Mm -hmm. And I held off doing IVF for almost a year after that, because I just felt like I needed to heal. Yeah. And I loved the fact that you took that time to just do some yoga. You did acupuncture. Yes. You just really spent time with you. Tell, tell me about that part. Yeah. So of course it, I had to grieve. I have to mourn. Like you, I just, I believe firmly in not masking those hard feelings. Yeah. Like I felt like you have to feel to heal. So I took the time I needed, you know, to mourn that loss. And I just decided, you know, God, you know how much I've always wanted to be a mom. I surrender. Like, literally, I was like, I surrender all oh. to you. I was sitting on my couch. I broke down into tears. And I started listening to the song, I Surrender All. I love that You know, there are various artists mm -hmm. who sing it. But that was my song. And the fertility clinic I went to, even though I wasn't ready to start the treatment, they offered yoga and acupuncture. And I thought, I want to get my body and my mind in the best place I can be to do this. Because my thought was, I want to give it my all, right? Yes. No matter the outcome, at least I know I gave it my all. So I contacted the fertility clinic, their wellness center, and said, I'd like to do yoga. And it met every Wednesdays. And it was really a support group for women who were in that circle. Mm -hmm. And just being able to share and seeing you're not alone. My first yoga session, I came out of there feeling so great. I came home energized like, I can do this. It's going to happen. And then when I read how acupuncture can kind of help kind of like with the synergy of your body and aligning your body and the hormones. I thought I'm, I'm going to do that too, because what do I have to lose? Yeah. And so I found an acupuncturist in the community and I would go to her three times a week. And she started to incorporate Chinese herbs to kind of help prepare my body. And I will say, I noticed Incorporating the yoga relieved the stress. Yes. Right? Having that journaling, I would journal. And just having that support group of other women that were doing it with me. And seeing women in my yoga class who were falling pregnant. That gave me hope. 
and that's what I needed to see, right? Like if they can, I can too. Why not me? Right. And then the acupuncturist helping me get my body aligned and give me the the meds or the Chinese herbs, I will say I saw an improvement and how my body was functioning and how I felt that I felt comfortable with, you know, incorporating both of those approaches. And I did it for a good year. I incorporated both in my life for at least a year, faithfully. Wow. But you have to give yourself credit, too. I mean, I'm sure both of those aspects contributed to you de-stressing and being open to what you were about to receive with this baby. But, you know, also for you to be determined to get through that moment, not past to get with, you know, to move with that moment of losing that baby. The fact that you were able to say, you know, I need to grieve this. I'm not going to just push this under the rug and diminish this moment as, okay, it happened. I'm going to just try again. You really took that time to to really feel all your feelings about Mm -hmm. that. And then you give yourself credit for the fact that you said, okay, now I've got to I've got to take care of myself because with yes. or without baby, they it needs you to be in yes. the optimal position to be mom, to be in your skin, all of that. Mm-hmm. So that was beautiful that you took that time. And I Thank hope you. Yeah. And I hope that someone's listening. I mean, because, you know, at the time that I was pregnant and, and lost the twin pregnancy that I had after my daughter, Karee, it was just too much to grieve both things of losing my mom at the same time yes. and then the pregnancy and I basically I chose to be in the moment with losing my mother because it was actually happening in front of me that right. it took some time to find a space to grieve that pregnancy you know mm-hmm. to to grieve it because I was so scared of what if I actually allow myself to feel all of this at the same time can i handle it that's why hats off to you that thank you you took that time and i'm trying not to get emotional but everyone else has gotten emotional at some point on this podcast but it is it because it just it really is important to take that time and i couldn't help but think that the stress that i was feeling around the time that my mom was ill Mm-hmm. I can't say mm-hmm. it contributed directly to the miscarriages, but I'm sure it didn't help. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I do. I do. And, you know, they do say when you're when we're pregnant, keep that stress level down. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it has an impact on the pregnancy, it has an impact on the baby. So if yeah, you cause you're the vessel with that. Yeah, because yeah. you're the vessel. And if the vessel exactly. isn't strong you know, um, and in, in its best state, it's really difficult to yes. to handle growing a person. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. growing, you know, growing feet, yeah. growing a little person in there. <laughs> yes. I, I, there's growing that, teeth. Growing teeth. I'm growing a person. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So I hats off to you. So now, so you go through the IVF process. You you've prepared yourself mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and it's successful, right? Not the first try. Not the first, the first try, try was not. It okay. took me two rounds. So the first attempt, I think anyone who's going through this process or thinking about going through this process, you, you may understand what, I, what I'm saying. So, you know, we had the ovarian stimulation, mm-hmm. right? Got me ready. 
they said because of my age, I didn't have as many eggs. So for the first round, they got about four. Two fertilized. Think about this. And on day five, one looked like it was turning into a blastocyst. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't quite there yet. And the blastocyst, and everyone, just to say, if you yes. haven't gotten to IVF, is basically looks like it could develop into a viable pregnancy. They won't even say viable pregnancy at that point yet because they have Correct. to watch it grow. But Correct. to actually have a blastocyst growing means that you're closer to possibly having a viable embryo, which then can be transferred and and hopefully continue to be a viable pregnancy and a viable delivery. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Thank you so much for explaining. You explained it a lot better than I could have. It's only because I've been Uh, doing all these modules. So (laughs) that they have me doing. I'm getting there now. But yeah. So So it didn't turn into a blastus until day six. Okay. And I was excited. My husband and I were like, great. We have a blastocyst. And because of my age, I will say, because at this time I was 41, mm-hmm. they said we want to do pre-implantation genetic testing. And so that's where they test the embryo. Take a little bit, right, of the embryo. Mm-hmm. Take a little bit of the tissue. And they take it to a lab and test it to make sure it's chromosome normal. 23 from the mom, 23 for the dad. No deletions on the chromosomes. It's 46. Mm -hmm. And it turned out after our two-week wait of those results, unfortunately, that that one blastocyst we had, it wasn't chromosome normal. So, of course, we were disappointed. I was devastated. I'll never forget when the doctor called to break the news. But she said, Deneen, if you're up for it, let's try again. And I said, yes, I am up for it. Let's try again. And what she did say was, she said, you know, the first cycle, it's not always going to be successful because with the first cycle, we're still learning your body. Mm. So the treatment regimen we give you is pretty standard. But now that we've gone through this first cycle, I have a better understanding of how your body responds. So she tweaked my regimen, I guess you could say, for lack of a better word. And the second cycle... We ended up having, I think it was about the same. I think it was six eggs. Four became blastocyst by day five. We did the pre-implantation genetic testing again. Two came back chromosome normal. And I said, this is great. I'm I'm still doing this yoga with Mm -hmm. this group. And it's interesting. You know how God works. I'm telling you. People call them coincidences. I call them God winks. Because here I am. Yeah, yeah see? God winks. Yeah. God winks. I call them God winks because I'm in this yoga class, right? Doing this yoga every night. Women were sharing our stories. And this one woman said, I'm just sitting there. And this one woman who was a little older than me, she was maybe 43 at the time, she said to the group, I'm going to do endometrial biopsies because I keep having unsuccessful embryo transfers. And I thought, hmm, what's that? I'm, I'm curious, what is that? So I sent a message to the nurse at the fertility center and said, I'd like to talk to my doctor about endometrial biopsy. My husband and I scheduled the call and she said, you know, Deneen, I was actually going back and forth with whether or not we should do that. And she explained what this is. 
it's a procedure, women, if you decide to go this route. And again, because of my age, she said, because of your age and because you only have two viable blastocysts, I highly recommend it. They take a, a biopsy of your endometrial lining mm-hmm. and they test it to see when is the optimal day to do an embryo transfer. And I'm so glad I did it because they got the results back and the nurse called me and said, it turns out, Deneen, you need one more day of progesterone shots before the embryo transfer. What a discovery. Yes. Yes. I'm telling you. I attribute that to God, me sitting in that yoga class, just listening and that woman saying it and me just saying, hmm, I wonder what that is. Let me talk to my doctor. And I'm so glad I did that because she said, it turns out you need one more day of progesterone. And what that means is, I guess, statistically speaking, if we had done day 14 embryo transfer, it may not be successful because I needed one more day of progesterone. Mm -hmm. And so they factor that into my treatment plan when we decided to move forward with the embryo transfer. Wow. But he... I, I have to say, I'm thinking, as you're saying this, I'm like, why was that not mentioned in the first place? Yep. Why is that something that you had to overhear? I mean, exactly. in terms of a God wink, you were meant mm-hmm. to hear it there. But I'm wondering how many people are listening to this and going, that's never been mentioned to me. Exactly. Because I've never heard of me. that never mentioned to me and the fact that this doctor now she's overall a wonderful doctor because I've had experiences with others in her practice that were not but the fact that she said I actually thought about that she thought about it but didn't didn't think to tell me you know so that it's we'll get to that I I mean I I mean because part of this discussion why we're having it is being Black History Month as well Mm-hmm. Black maternal health and also, unfortunately, Black maternal mortality rates are so high. Mm-hmm. And, and, there's, and I'm, I can't attribute it, obviously, directly to this fact. But in the overall conversation of when, it, when you speak to women of color in this country that are going through uh, pregnancy and or postpartum, there are all these issues that come up that we have to work really hard to get people to hear us when we're saying, I don't feel well, I don't think this is normal. Can we try something else? For some reason, it doesn't always work out in our favor. And we'll talk about how for you again, because what I what I'm hearing is your intuition and your faith mm-hmm. have led you to this road of motherhood and even in, in health for you to be sitting here and talking to me, because I know that part of your story, too, mm-hmm. of what you faced postpartum wise, which right. we'll explain. But it, it is something that kind of baffles me that you had a a professional who knew your history, who had your, your file in front of them, but did not, but, and thought about this and still did not mention it to you. That, that, that blows my mind. So, so your doctor now 
is empowered to go with her gut of what she had what she was thinking of telling you about mm -hmm. and you and you do it so that i it sounds like it helped in in actually having a viable pregnancy this time from this round yes absolutely wow. so we had yeah so because of that yeah information mm -hmm. like i said my treatment plan my embryo transfer wasn't day 14, right? Because I needed that extra day of progesterone. Um, but it was scheduled, which I think is beautiful and kind of prophetic to what my husband said. My embryo transfer was scheduled for December 14th, 2018. And the reason why that date is so important is because I lost my mom rest in peace Paula Grooms mm. to breast cancer December 14th 1998 <sighs> yes that's why I'm God that's why I'm that is what I'm trying to say faith he wow. he speaks he shows you he reveals and so when my husband and I saw that piece of paper say December 14th was our embryo transfer date he looked at me and said oh what's happening we're having a baby. That he said, wow. "Oh, it's happening. We're having a baby," and we transferred the embryo on December fourteenth. I did my acupuncture because this fertility clinic allowed pre-implantation and post. So I was I was in that fertility clinic for a while because I was really in the acupuncture game. Mm -hmm. And two weeks later, I went in for my blood test. They called me and said, "Congratulations." You're pregnant. Oh. And uh, that's the the story of how um, we had our Iodeji. Oh. And yeah. how... Or the beginning it? of his story, I And that's say. his name, right? Yes. His name is Iodeji. It's Yoruba. My husband's family's from Nigeria, and it means double joy. Oh. I love it. Because that's what he represents to us. And how old is he now? He is two and a half years old now, acting just like a two and a half year old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and I are both in it. She's not two and a half yet, but she's been giving me those two. I'm in those two vibes since she was about 18, 19 months. I could see it coming and I was like, oh, just little, little pieces. But yeah, oh, he we're... gives it to us when it comes to, oh my gosh, feeding time. Oh, that's, he fights, you know, he, he doesn't want to eat, you know, the day before he ate it wonderfully. Yeah. And then today, for some reason, he doesn't want to eat. And it's just, you know, because he's like, tantrums. I'm double joy. I can do whatever I want. My name basically, is <laughs> basically, he's like, please, oh. I know, I know how bad you wanted me. Let me, let right. Me. <laughs> right. I'll I, eat I when know, I want. Exactly. Exactly. I did. And this ain't, this isn't it. I'm not eating it oh. this time, but I'll come back and eat it tomorrow. But yeah, so that's, that's what happened. And that's how I ended up um, getting pregnant. I'm so happy our, for you guys. I, I call him our miracle baby. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about afterward. So mm -hmm. you had had throughout your pregnancy with him, you had some blood pressure issues, right? Yes. Um, you were taking medication. Yes. Right. During the pregnancy to keep the Correct. blood pressure down. Correct. You give birth to your beautiful miracle baby boy. You go home. And what did you notice? How did you feel? How did you notice that something isn't quite right right here? 
So to answer your question, just to back up a little bit. So I was taking blood pressure medicine throughout my pregnancy. You're absolutely right. And what happened is once I had IODG, I had him via C-section because I also had placenta previa, which I, I don't wish on anyone. The doctors determined that my blood pressure was dropping too low. And so oh. when I was in the hospital, they decided to take me off of the blood pressure medication because they're saying now it's too low. And then when it came time for me to go home, they said, we're not, your blood pressure looks good. So we took you off. I'm like, okay, great. I go home. That's Friday. Saturday, I noticed that my left foot is swollen And I mentioned it to my husband and I said, something's not right. My left foot is swollen. And I didn't know what it was at the time. I just knew something wasn't right. And then he said, you know what, you know, put your feet up. Maybe it's just, you know, some water retention, some fluid. And let's see how you feel in the morning. So Sunday comes. My left foot is still swollen intuitively I start taking my blood pressure medicine again but I don't feel right something Mm. just feels off I don't feel right so I ended up calling the OBGYN on call and she said why don't you get a blood pressure monitor and take your pressure my husband goes out gets it two days after I've been home I take my blood pressure it's reading at 187 over like 100 I immediately jump up and I tell my husband, you have to watch the baby. I have to go. I Uber lift, you know, to the hospital. Now I'm nervous, right? So by the time I get to the hospital, my blood pressure shot to 213 over 178. So they immediately take me into the labor and delivery unit and they give me medication immediately and they bring my blood pressure back down. And I ended up being in the hospital for maybe three days until they got my blood pressure back under control. And you know what's interesting, Victoria? Hmm. A black nurse, you know, she came in and checked on me and I told her my story just like you. You know, I was on blood pressure medicine, but they said it looks so good. They took me off, but my pressure went up and I'm back in here. And she said, but they should have known when a woman has... A cesarean section, mm-hmm. and they give a woman certain type of medication, it automatically, artificially lowers your blood pressure. She said they should have known not to have trusted what they saw because evidence shows that in that case, it's not a reliable indicator that a woman's blood pressure is down. She said so. She said, ma'am, they should have never taken you off in the first place. Wow. I mean, I would think so. I mean, if you've had it, you know, uh, even though it wasn't maybe the whole entire nine months, but for a long period of time, you've been taking medication to control this blood pressure to think that instantly this baby's here and the blood pressure is low to stop taking it. I would probably think take it just in case for a couple of days to see until it, you know, go it normalizes again postpartum before just yanking someone off of blood pressure medication you know yeah, what I mean so I ended up I'm sorry I, I, I just want to clarify like what that is so I ended up being diagnosed with postpartum cre- ple- 
preeclampsia. That's what it's called. Postpartum preeclampsia. Yes. Okay. Because I didn't have preeclampsia during my pregnancy. I was never diagnosed to your point, And it could be because my medication was controlling it. Um, but subsequent to having my son and going home, I developed preeclampsia, which is very dangerous. It can be very dangerous and scary. So your pressure normalizes again, the swelling goes down. Yes. So what happens, it ended up, they put you on a magnesium drip for 24 hours and it's not fun. And the magnesium essentially prevents you from having seizures because preeclampsia is basically, it's preeclamptic. And if you go into eclampsia, you can have seizures and the mother can die. So they give you like, they flood your body with magnesium so that you don't have seizures. But for 24 hours, you can't do anything. You're just in the bed and you feel like, you feel groggy and you feel like crap. So once they gave me that magnesium drip, it helped bring my pressure down they incorporated the blood pressure meds back into my regimen. And then I was able to go home in a few days and stay on the blood pressure medication. I see. Wow. And then, so you're home now. Mm -hmm. So you're reunited with Ayodeji and your husband. And then y'all must have been really excited because... (laughs) (laughs) Because um, five months later? Not even. My son was four months old. Four months old, and then bada bing, bada boom. Yes. You're pregnant again. Yes. And this time, yes, naturally. We... Yes, and that was the crazy part. I looked at my husband like, this can't be, because I, it's me. Like, <laughs> I was told the chances are, like, non-existent. Wow. But we were. Wow. And, yeah, I was. I became pregnant naturally when my son was four months old. Denise. And. That is amazing. And I'm and the other part of me is like, oh, my goodness, were you scared? I was. I was scared because I thought my son is only four months. Like he's still so little and still needs so much of me. And I found out in December 2019. When did COVID hit, guys? Oh, when do we start hearing about COVID? January, January 2020. 2020. Yeah. So just think, I'm early pregnant. And then we start hearing about this COVID-19. So I'm like, holy crap. I have a four-month-old. I'm newly pregnant. And there's this scary new virus out there. Yeah. So I was dealing with all that. So I was afraid for many reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm with you because, you know, my baby's a 2020 baby. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, that, I can't even imagine... So you get this baby, your little girl. Okay. Her name is also Yoruba. It's Yeji Day. Yeji Day. And Yeji Day means return of the mother. Okay. And we named her in honor of my mom, Paula, who passed away. Oh. So you. And she is a mini, a mini me. And I can definitely see parts of my mom in her as well. Oh. How was that pregnancy? That pregnancy went well until I hit 23 weeks. I just noticed my heart started beating like out of my chest rapidly. I went to see my doctor, OBGYN. He sent me to my primary care doc for an EKG. And my blood pressure, once again, she was like, your blood pressure is really high. I think you should go to labor and delivery. And I ended up spending my very first Mother's Day weekend in the hospital. 
And that's when I found out that I had preeclampsia again with my daughter. And so I was already on blood pressure medicine. But they said, we have to increase your dosage because what you're currently on isn't working. And so from weeks 23 up until I had her, I was taking blood pressure medicine. I was checking my blood pressure twice a day. And I was seeing my OBGYN once or twice. It was like twice a month Mm -hmm. because I was considered um, high risk. Yeah, I think anyone at 30, I think it's 35 and up have these back to back appointments towards the end where you're there, yes. like their family. <laughs> no, they the come, I was it's so like, hey, comfortable. Girl. Yeah. So comfortable seeing my OBGYN. Oh my gosh. I would, that was like my outing. Yeah. It was COVID in the beginning. Who was going anywhere? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was how but, I socialized. Yeah. For those of you who are, you know, 35 and up, uh, and up be prepared to you spend a lot of time at this office. They you make sure you like them because yes. you will be there quite often towards the like the last two, three months. If you have no issues last two or three months. And if you do have issues even earlier, you'll be there quite, quite a few times yes. during the week. Oh, absolutely. so. You, I... Well, the reason why I mentioned that is, again, mm-hmm. right. They know your history. Yes. You've been going there. You're, yes. They're like family. This is your second pregnancy. You've been there. They know your history. Your history. So you deliver your baby girl. Yes. And then? I deliver my beautiful baby girl at 36 weeks, five days. And I'm in there now. I know my history. I know I have preeclampsia. And I'm telling them, um, make sure you give me all my medication. Don't <laughs> take away any. And I even told them, and don't trust what that blood pressure monitor says, because I have a history of preeclampsia. Continue to give me both of my dosages. And then one night I was in there and my left foot, it's that left side, it started to feel tight. And my legs started to feel tight. I called for the nurse and I told her something doesn't feel right. She took my blood pressure. It was 170 over something. And I said are you guys giving me both of my medications? And she said, what other medication? We only have one in your notes. I said, that's impossible because since I've been in here, I told every doctor and nurse who comes into this room, I'm on two types of medications. Don't take one away and don't trust what my blood pressure monitor says because it can creep up again. Call the doctor in, check my pressure again. Now it's at 180 and climbing. So they administer the second dose and then my blood pressure goes back down. At this point, I'm angry. Absolutely. I was livid because I said, I told you on purpose when I got here, my history to avoid this. And here I am experiencing it again. You completely ignored me. Didn't even include in my chart that I told you I need both. And don't trust what the blood pressure monitor says. I mean, how lucky is it that you were able to check on this? Because what could have happened is you could have gone and you could have had a seizure. Mm -hmm. You don't know how long it's been. I mean, you had an idea of how long it's been now that they didn't give you the second medication. But what if you were in a state that you could not speak for yourself? It was it would have been too late to to correct. So the fact that you were able to speak on your behalf and say, 
I think something is wrong here. That is why you're even sitting here talking to me right now. Yes. Yes. I never thought of, you know what, Victoria, I never even thought of it that way. Yeah. That, you know, yeah, me me advocating for myself and just making that one statement could have changed the whole trajectory of how things could have been. Absolutely. Be I mean, also think about you it just so happened that your your delivery went well enough for you to you weren't in a state of you were in a coma you didn't have no. you know any external bleeding or internal bleeding no. i should say you didn't have, you mean everything went quote unquote well enough for you to be able to tell them wait a minute something is wrong or even mm -hmm. to tell them hey letting you know two medications don't forget to give them to me Think about all the women who have who are not able to say that for themselves. I know. And it was too late to find out. And yes. they're not here to tell their story. I know. I'm just thankful that you were able to advocate for yourself. Yes. Well, you know, my background, I work in health policy, right? So, right. So I'm not new to this. Like, none of this is a surprise to me. I work in the health policy space. I know about the black maternal mortality rates, right? And the morbidity rates. I know about that. I know how to advocate for myself. I know what the words are. I know the terminology. I know the jargon. And still, still, when I delivered my daughter, my orders were ignored because I feel like they thought they knew better than me. Right. And you don't. Right. You can never know better than the patient, the health of a patient. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to suggest something different and have a conversation with you about your health. Mm -hmm. But to blatantly ignore something that I'm telling you because you're the professional, you're the, or she's just talking, she just had a baby. She, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Whatever it mm -hmm. is just blows my mind that it, I just don't understand how that can happen. And it happens yes. all the time. And the fact all that you're in policy, time. you know, I, I can only imagine, I mean, you had, you had the knowledge to yes. say, I'm going to advocate for myself. This is what I'm going to do. Yes. And this is what I yes. need. And it's for, I'm sure it, it, there must've been a shock of like, I can't, but this, I can't believe this is happening to me. Oh, it was, I was, it was incredulous. I was like, are you serious? I'm here again. I literally was like, I told you guys everything so that I would not experience what I experienced with my son. And yet here I am again through no fault of my own. Mm. You did everything I told you not to do. Wow. And you put my health at extreme risk. Yeah. Yeah, you you had two baby you had two babies, literally almost yes. twins that you had to go yes. back home to to a husband yes. that we already know we hear how much he loves you and how much yes. you know he was in your corner. I mean, you sounds like you have such a great support circle. You know, oh, my husband is wonderful. So you know, obviously, my husband is support number one. Right. Um, he's absolutely amazing. You know, he's a great. <laughs> a great hands-on dad, you know, in the early months when they're newborns, you know, he would help out as much as he could, you know, with the feedings mm -hmm. and changing them, you know, so that I could get a break and, and try to get some sleep. Ladies, 
that means a lot. It might not sound <laughs> like it right now, but if your husband can take over that two hour feeding, that interval so that you can get an extra two hours of sleep, take it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So he's wonderful. My dad, you know, I don't have my mom with me. So my dad, he's my rock. He's a wonderful father. He's like the best father and grandfather you could ever have. Mm-hmm. Um, so supportive when I was, so what we didn't share this, but when I was readmitted, so I, what I didn't share was after I had my daughter, I was readmitted twice for preeclampsia. My blood pressure spiked, um, twice, um, after I had her and my dad came by the house to help my husband with the kids. My brother came by the house to help my husband with the kids my sister-in-law, God bless her, who lives in North Carolina, drove up hmm. to help her baby brother with her niece and nephew. My close girlfriends from the area, Malika, Jennifer, and Keisha, came over to the house to help my husband. My best friend, Tanya, who lives in Brooklyn, drove down with her family wow. um, to help us get the house set up before the kids came. So you can't do it without a support circle you you're not meant to do this alone when they say it takes a village it's true you're not meant to be in this alone it's not meant to be just you and your husband it's not because it can't yeah lean on those people who are there for you lean on that support circle because you need it to get through and I don't wish my complications or outcomes on anyone but if god forbid you do you, you need your family and friends to rally around um, and kind of step in while you get your health back. Yes. Let them help you. Let them yes. help you. Tell me how for you being a mother in your 40s shapes or how it impacts your motherhood journey. You know, so I think because of my journey and how I had to really fight to have these babies, I look at them as blessings And they're both my little miracles. Um, I say that because motherhood, I don't know how else to explain it other than it's the hardest job I've ever had in my life, but it's the biggest love I've ever had in my life. You know, it's the most work, but it's the most love I've ever felt. And I think that's the way I explain motherhood. It's hard, but the love you have, you never knew you could you could have. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're in your 40s versus if maybe for me speaking for myself, I was in my 20s. I appreciate motherhood more. I'm more patient, right? And I have the time to spend with my children. I don't feel like I'm missing out versus if I was in my 20s mm-hmm. and my girlfriends were still, you know, traveling or just, you know, socializing. I don't feel like I'm missing out on that. So I'm able to be fully present and really enjoy being a mom. Now, it's to be completely honest, there are times, there are parts of motherhood that aren't all roses. It's difficult, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm exhausted. You know what I mean? You're tired, especially when they're really young because they require so much of you physically Mm -hmm. and mentally that you're tired and you learn to live with that. But it's, it's an adjustment that I think me being older helped me to be ready for. Mm -hmm. 
and that's just one thing I say. It's it's a very serious. Um, I don't call it a job, but I feel that if God blessed me with these two children, his children, to take care of them, I I take that responsibility. My husband and I very seriously. Well, I like the fact that how you said that about his children kind of gives you yes. the, this um, this feeling of like, even when the times are hard and then you mm-hmm. realize, no, I entrusted you with these two human beings. So you better exactly. make sure you take care of them. And you're like, OK, exactly. OK, Papa. And I think he's like, and I know you're going <laughs> to cry because I'm going to be honest. There are times when you're so tired and you're just so exhausted and you feel overwhelmed. You have to cry to let that release out. But that's OK. Right. It's actually normal. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I think uh, I'm glad that you said that because I think I know I've felt it as a stay at home mom. It is everything I did not think it was. (laughs) (laughs) I like (laughs) that. You thought I was going to say something else, but everything I didn't think it was. And Mm -hmm. and a lot of what I thought it was at the same time. Mm -hmm. And also take the time to to say this is hard. Uh, you know, I, I need a break. So I'm glad that you said that. It's a reminder to me too, because I still, especially because I'm going in this process of having another one. um, I find myself often going, don't you become challenged by this because you about to add on to your, (laughs) to your day, like to your load. It's gonna, it's about to get heavy. And my husband's always asking like, are you sure you're going to be okay? Cause you seem really tired today. And I'm like, I am tired. I have the right to be tired. That does not mean that I don't want another baby. I'm just literally going exactly how, but I will, you know, it, yes. it's, it's yes. tough. And for you, like you didn't even have time to get used to the one. So you don't no. know anything different. You know I what don't. I mean? When I came home from the hospital, we had two babies that were not walking. <laughs> Yes, imagine that, Victoria. Yeah, they're all tummy time for everybody. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, two babies who weren't walking, and my son Iodeji still wasn't was not yet sleeping through the night at that time. Wow. Yes. Hats off. I'm literally doing a little bow, and also but we got through it. You got through it, and it and it feels like your faith is is an anchor for you and there's no way that you would have gotten through all of that without knowing that this is happening for a reason yes this is i asked and you said you shall receive so here you go i'm i'm blessing you you with all these (laughs) right here you go you know (laughs) with uh (laughs) here your twins um yes you inspire me especially going into this process um because it's not easy that's so sweet what do you love about being a mom Oh, I love the cuddles. I do. You know, they are the sweetest when they come up to you and just like hug you and kiss you. Um, it's the best feeling ever. Or the first time you hear your child call you mama, mm-hmm. it's just so sweet. And it just, it just melts your heart. So I just, I just love, you know, I, I know I'm at the beginning of parenthood, right? They're going to become teenagers mm-hmm. and then I'm probably going to like get out my face. <laughs> but right now I just love them and just seeing them grow. That's really what I love. Like we had this blastocyst with Iodeji mm-hmm. and to see him go from starting off as that blastocyst to a two and a half year old boy who's now talking 
who's now telling us what he wants, what he doesn't want, who has his own personality. It's just great. It just warms your heart. Mm. And the same with my daughter, to see her little personality come out. And baby girl has a personality, you know? <laughs> She's a trick. Where did she get that from? I wonder. Mm. <laughs> yeah, she does her little dance moves like this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I love. Just seeing them grow and just hugging them and kissing them and hearing them say your name when your son, well, for my son, first time he said, I love you, mommy. <gasps> that was awesome. Un- unsolicited, unprovoked. He just said, I love you, mommy. Aww. Makes it all worth it. Uh, yeah. I, um, sorry, I got a little emotional. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to go through this again, God willing. I'm, I hope. We'll see. Inshallah, Inshallah. as I like to say. Yeah, yeah. Yes, thank you. you. But you know what I always like to say, Victoria? Just one last thing. So, yeah. you know, I was in my 40s, right, when I did this IVF. So I was basically 41. And, you know, the statistics said that because of my age, I think I had maybe an 11% chance mm-hmm. of a pregnancy resulting in a live birth. And then with my daughter, I was 42, and they said that I think women that age, it's like 5% yeah. of even doing this naturally. Yeah. But I tell myself, what medical literature or what the science says, they can say I'm 5%, they can say I'm 11%, but God said it's 100%. Yeah. And that's what I choose to focus on. Yeah. And, what and, and God says, and, you know, and that goes for anyone, whether you are religious or you're not the nugget that you just gave us that what is, is the fact that you can't go into this only thinking of science. You've got to have faith in yourself, whether it's in yes. God, whether it's in just the universe, whatever it is, yes. your, yes. your mindset has to be, this is happening because yes, you know, my frequency is on this is happening exactly and that's what it was for me you're absolutely right it it was why not me that was really my motto why not me yeah oh i love that why not me Mm -hmm. (laughs) i put mascara on for you denine i was just really trying to like because i don't go anywhere and now you're making me like you're beautiful with or without the mascara girl Thank you so, so much. No, thank you for the opportunity to share my story. I appreciate it. My thanks again to Deneen for sitting with us today. Don't you think she'd be an amazing inspirational speaker? I sure do. I'm so thankful that she was empowered enough to advocate for herself. And I'm hoping her story helps expectant mothers to do the same. We'll pick up on part two of this subject in April during Black Maternal Health Week, which is from April 11th through the 17th. For more information, please visit the National Institute for Children's Health Qualities website. That's www.nichq.org. I hope you'll subscribe, follow wherever you're listening to this podcast today. Don't forget to follow us on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, And I'm looking forward to seeing you again next Monday. Take care of each other and take care of yourself.